Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Hope your day is going well. Thank you for being with me today. I'm looking forward to this time together with you. And Ken Samples is going to be my guest. We're still trying to get him on the line, but he's a theologian and a philosopher. And you know from experience, Ken's a pretty smart guy. So uh, whatever questions you might have, we're going to talk about the uh, spirit of the age today and how Christians can respond biblically. Um, it's been interesting. You look at how fast technology has changed. I still remember going places with a big old map where you had to unfold the map and try to figure out where you were, and then you would trace your finger on the map. Is this the route I want to take? Then you have to figure out if you're on the right road. And now you've just got GPS. You just uh, say, this is where I need to go, and it takes you there. It's a pretty sweet deal. And so we're going to talk to Ken about that. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So, the spirit of the age, I think, has been referred um, as years past. So I'm real curious to find out what Ken's perspective on this, but still we're having a little bit of trouble connecting with him, but hopefully he'll he'll show up. Fortunately, David Miles hasn't left yet. <laughs> <laughs> we you were know? talking about connections before, yeah, weren't we? we were talking about connections. We're important. having trouble <laughs> connecting to our next guest. And I'm thinking it's funny because I, I think of the, the, the gift of loitering, which is an important gift. Because if you loiter a little bit, you have opportunities, right? If you're yes. always racing, racing here, racing there, um, you, you miss a lot of stuff. Yeah, you do. I don't know if you guys remember several years ago, there was, um, I can't remember if it was a professor or someone, and they, they would take their students out and actually just have them like, like loiter, but more so be observant. So instead of rushing along, like literally sit in a place and really take in and absorb what was going on around them. I think there's been um, a lot of people that have been able to initiate conversations with people because they weren't in such a hurry. Mm-hmm. So, And when we think one of the, the biggest gifts that we can give, you know, is the gift of time, you know. Oh, Absolutely. Ken, you know, like what we're we're waiting for, Ken. But when I was going to say, Bill, you know, I could give you five thousand dollars, or Rebecca, what, what, what? Rebecca could grand? give you, you five thousand dollars, but neither one of us can give you back the last thirty minutes of your life. That's true. You know, and I so... also can't give you five thousand dollars right now. <laughs> okay, but for a hamburger today, Ooh, you know, Popeye. <laughs> I like Popeye. I love the classic references, but not to take away from your analogy, David. No. Great. I'm, but one of the things that we, 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 um, the power of time, 
uh, is such a very rich gift. And so I'm super excited for our listening audience to hear from Ken on this and that we have this whole thing of being able to connect with God and God has made the gift of eternity, Mm -hmm. that it's timeless, like we get to savor that for a long time. So, so look forward to hearing Ken and the rest of us today. So our group is in for a treat. Stay, hang with us for another five minutes or so. Listen to Ken. I'll bring him on. He's a, he's a, both a philosopher and a theologian, and he uh, is a senior research uh, scholar at Reasons to Believe. You can go to reasons.org. He's the author of many books, including Classic Christian Thinkers, Seven Truths That Change the World and God Among Sages. Ken, welcome. Hey, Bill. It's good to be with you. How are you? I look forward to our time together every month. I'm, I'm actually well, and... Um, I hope you're doing the same. I'm doing good. I, I, don't, I can't complain, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, I was just trying to set up this whole idea of, of the spirit of this age, and I was just uh, reminiscing uh, on the old days when you would uh, go into a gas station and buy a map when you were lost, <laughs> and then you'd have to unfold the map and try to figure out where you were and then trace your finger along the path that you thought you wanted to take, and... And it's just interesting how technology has just thrown us into a whole different world. And now we've got GPS, and we just say where we want to go, and we get there. It is different. I do remember the maps, and uh, that uh, that day seems to have gone uh, gone away for a while anyway. It sure has. But let's talk about the spirit of this age. Maybe we can start with, uh, you know, maybe some key ideas that we see in our in our current time of of uh, unrest and and protest and probably for lack of better a better way of putting this complete chaos. Yeah, you know the the Germans have uh, a lot of interesting words. Um, uh, they have a word called Zeitgeist, mm-hmm. uh, and Zeit of course means time, and Geist is the spirit. And so, in philosophy, we talk about the spirit of the age. So this would be kind of the intellectual, moral, and, and cultural context of a, of, a, of a given time. And, you know, you having your, um, having your show there in Minneapolis, I mean, you're right there at the center of, of a lot of the things that have been happening. And I would say that one of the things that kind of characterizes this time um, is that Ideas kind of, uh, how can I put this? Ideas are really, really very important. Sometimes they begin, uh, let's say, at the, at the university level, but slowly and gradually they kind of seep down into the culture and into the society. And uh, I think one idea that uh, we kind of wrestle with, and I wrestle with it as a philosopher, is how do you know when you're getting an education, and how do you know when you might be being indoctrinated? And, um, you know, that's that's not always an easy thing uh, to kind of capture. But I, I think there are a lot of people that are asking these days, um, you know, are, are we getting kind of the straight scoop? Are we getting uh, clear ideas? And so, and so rightly or wrongly, we hear people talking about fake news. We hear people talking about indoctrination. And I think one of the things that kind of comes out of our time is, is again, um, uh, 
are we are we uh, helping people to are, are we telling people what to believe or are we helping them to kind of think about uh, various issues and and so I think that's one issue that is 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 very important and um, I, I think as a philosopher and as a Christian thinker, I want to help people to think critically about ideas. I don't want to tell them what to believe uh, as much as I want to kind of help them to kind of think through uh, various issues. And so I think a lot of ideas in our culture have kind of seeped through that. Does that make sense? That makes a ton of sense. And I think most of what's happening right now is people are being told what to believe and what to think. So I love your approach. Well, I, you know, again, I would, I would emphasize that, um, that, that there really is a, there really is a difference between, uh, education and indoctrination. And again, I think that, that what's critical in that is, uh, I think a really good education kind of gives you both sides. It gives you the pros and the cons. It kind of challenges you to think independently and indoctrination, on the other hand, you know, it, it just kind of tells you this is what you should believe. And so um, I think that that is I think that is characterized of our time. And so when we when we think about issues, uh, you know, classically, Christians have thought about uh, Christians have kind of looked at the world through the prism of what we call um, truth, goodness and beauty. And so that's kind of a classical way that Christians kind of looked at the world, emphasizing truth, emphasizing goodness, emphasizing beauty. I, I think what we, I, I think to some degree, we've kind of moved away from that and kind of adopted, or at least many people have adopted the idea of kind of a postmodern relativism. And I think we've arrived at kind of uh, race, gender, and class are the categories. And so, uh, you know, this German idea, this zeitgeist, they also have a, another term called a Weltanschauung. That's where we get our word worldview. Um, ideas, ideas are very, very important. And um, I want to challenge people to think carefully and critically. Sure, I want to, I'd like to persuade people to become Christians. I mean, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian apologist. I believe Christianity is true. Uh, I certainly want to try to marshal the best evidence and reasons for believing that Christianity is true. Um, but as an educator, uh, I don't want to just tell people what to believe. Um, I want to I want to help them to kind of work through these issues. And uh, well, I'll just be candid about it. I, I think a lot of times students are told what to think about race, gender and class, and they're not given all sides of the issue. That is uh, well said, Ken. I, I believe that's probably very true. And it, it kind of is alarming to hear, hear that to be the reality, if that is in fact true. Well, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, it, it is kind of, it is kind of uh, shocking. And um, I, I think, um, you know, I remember when I was teaching philosophy at a public college, and it was in Southern California, and it, it was it was a public school, so it was uh, not a Christian-oriented school. But I was teaching various classes: philosophy, ethics, world religions, 
And, um, you know, when I, w I remember teaching a world religion class, and this was kind of the beginning days of the Internet, so it was, you know, almost 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, a, a student would look me up and, and discover that I had written an article. They'd discover a book I'd written or something, and they would, you know, they would ask me, uh, well, you're a Christian, you know, what, what, what do you think about this? And, and Bill, I thought at the time, in teaching philosophy, teaching world religions, teaching ethics, um, I felt that I needed to teach that course in such a way that I would give all sides of the question. So when I was defending the argument for God's existence, you know, I would be quoting Thomas Aquinas, I would be quoting uh, St. Augustine, I would give them kind of a classical view of God. But then when it was my turn to give the other side, I would quote Friedrich Nietzsche, and I would go back and forth. And I remember students coming up to me and saying, well, we know you're a Christian. I mean, um, why, don't you, why, why don't you just... Uh, why don't you just, you know, give the Christian side? And I said, look, I, uh, I'm here to educate people. I'm here to help them think, to, to reflect. And uh, I'm not sure we have enough of that mm -hmm. in our time. I, I think we need, I think young people need to be challenged to think on all sides of the issue. And so when it comes to race, when it comes to gender, when it comes to class, um, I don't think it's appropriate for professors just to give one view. I think I think students need to be challenged. I, I like your thinking, Ken. Let me take a little break. Ken Samples is my guest. If you have a question, comment, or anything, let me know what it is. You can send a text to 877-933-2484. Be right back. Listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold, that we want to hear from you. We'd love to know what you think about the show. Well, most of us do. Bill says this week he's only accepting five star reviews. Either way, you can take the official Afternoons with Bill Arnold listener survey. It just takes a couple of minutes and you get a chance to win an Amazon gift card. Text the word survey to 877-933-2484. Find it online at myfaithradio.com slash survey. the show ken samples that's his walk-up music chosen by him and he is a philosopher and theologian and go to reasons.org to learn more about him and he's a regular guest every month i'm always glad to have him and we're talking about the spirit of the age today and ken when you're talking about trying to educate and give people perspectives i find it interesting because millennials nowadays if you suggest what they should believe they always ask why yeah yeah I, I and i and I think what's interesting um bill is that uh I think education should be a place uh i think education should be a place that actually makes you feel uncomfortable you know we we have we have kind of the controversial idea of a safe space so on the university campus uh sometimes people People feel very uncomfortable if an idea is introduced that, you know, challenges them. 
I think the university ought to be a place where you are deeply challenged. Um, you know, people might have very controversial views, but for example, um, at the University of Chicago, they've they've taken a very strong stand and said that um, you know they're they're going to they're going to challenge their students. I what I would do if I were the president of a college is I would say you know if you have a controversial view and you want to be a speaker. Uh, we'll hear you. We won't shout you down. We won't shut you off. But realize that if you have a controversial position, you're going to have to defend it, and we're going to challenge it. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that is is very important. Now, um, another concept there, Bill, comes along uh, with another idea. And here, here I'm quoting uh, uh, Robert George. Robert George is. Uh, He's a professor of law uh, at Princeton, which, of course, is one of our Ivy League schools. He said this, and I quoted in my article, he says, if the medieval period was the age of faith and if the Enlightenment was the age of reason, we live in the age of feeling. And, you know, um, that's kind of a controversial statement. Uh, was the medieval period the age of faith? Well, I would say yes, if it's understood in kind of, uh, you know, the way St. Augustine or St. Anselm, some of the great Christian thinkers thought of it. And they thought that faith and reason came together. And of course, the Enlightenment era would be, uh, kind of grew into a secular age of putting things under the analysis of reason. But I think today we do live at a time where people talk a lot about their feelings, how they feel about things. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I think our emotions and our feelings are a gift from God. They're part of our humanity. I certainly don't want to be in a church that's cold and just cerebral. As much as I love philosophy, I love kind, gracious people. I I want to belong there, and I, I want to I want to extend graciousness to other people. But as you have said in some of our discussions, Bill, uh, emotions can't always be trusted. They have to be looked at uh, very, very carefully. And I think we kind of live in what I would call a post-truth age where we um, we kind of test things by how we feel about them. And that is a very risky thing because... Uh, as much as I like passion and feeling, uh, ultimately, I think things have to be looked at in terms of facts and, and reason and, and evidence. So I think that's another kind of component of the, the culture in which we live today. Mm-hmm. Ken, I've got a couple of questions coming in from very smart listeners. Uh, David from North Dakota said, uh, Ken, what is a good response to someone who says Satan is in control right now? because of all the turmoil in the world. Well, I appreciate David's kind of candid question there. Uh, you know, what's what's interesting, uh, I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis here. Uh, C.S. Lewis, of course, the, the great Christian author, uh, Oxford professor, and the author of the Chronicles of Narnia and, and many apologetic books like Mere Christianity. Uh, Lewis used to say that that the demons applaud two things equally. They they like it when we completely ignore their existence, and they like it when we become kind of consumed or obsessed with their existence. And I, I Bill, I think that probably there are Christian and Christian traditions that fall into that category. 
I think some Christian traditions pay very little attention at all to the idea of of a demonic realm. Then I think there are other traditions that may give maybe too much attention, if if that would be uh, appropriate to say. But to answer David's question directly, um, uh, the Apostle John in his epistles says that, you know, uh, the demonic realm is involved in the world. And uh, I think very much uh, it, is, it is clear that there is uh, a demonic realm. And I think that uh, that needs to be understood. It needs to be appropriately confronted. Uh, and I, I, I like where David's going. I think the direction David is going, Bill, is to say that God is the ultimate one who is in control. It may very well be that demonic forces are influencing our world, but remember, uh, the devil and the demons, they're created beings, so they're not God's rivals. I mean, if God were to remove his hand, so to speak, and of course I'm speaking metaphorically, God doesn't have a, have a hand, but if God were to remove his, uh, his providential power, even the devil himself would fall into non-existence. So, yeah, I believe that there are things happening in the world, and, and Christians need to be aware and uh, cognizant that we live, in a, we live in a fallen world that is scarred by sin and is influenced by dark forces, but God is the sovereign king and ruler, and in Christ uh, we, can have, we can have rest and peace. What a nice answer. Thank you for that, Ken. And I thought David did ask a great question. Another question uh, came in from Michael. He said, critical thinking, yes, but what's our proper approach to Scripture? If we accept it as the Word of God, is that not a reason to take it without skepticism? Not automatically disbelieve, but... Yeah, I appreciate. Uh, Bill, one of the reasons I, I like doing the show is because I like you and Rebecca so much. But another <laughs> reason is you do such a good job as a host that you draw really thoughtful people to your show. And that's a compliment to Thank what you, you're Ken. doing. Um, Michael, I appreciate your your comment. And, and it's, a, it's a very important one. You know, Scripture says that we're to test all things and hold on to that which is good. That's First Thessalonians 5.21. And the context of that is prophecy. So um, God's not offended if we are, if we're testing. Um, in Acts 11, uh, Paul's preaching, and uh, he's preaching to the Jews about who Jesus is. And some of the Jews are looking into the Hebrew Bible, really checking Paul. Is this exactly what it does say in the Old Testament, what we call in the Old Testament, what they would have called the Tanakh or, or the Torah? Uh, so they're checking, right? Uh, and then in 1 John, John says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits, mm-hmm. because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Uh, Michael, what I would say is I think developing a healthy sense of checking and evaluating, or to use a more biblical term, discernment. I think our critical discernment is informed both by reason and ultimately by God's Word, which is our final authority. Yeah, Ken, let's uh, pick this up after the break. Um, We'll be back with um, more. Uh, Ken Samples is my guest. Let me know if you have a question or comment. 877-933-2484. Be right back. 
We are back with Ken Samples. Ken's a philosopher and theologian. We're talking about the spirit of the age today, spirit of this age, which is a great topic. And as we talk about some of these ideas, Ken, that are are getting uh, propagated in society right now, um, where where do you, where are these ideas coming from? Yeah, it's a very good question, and uh, let me let me kind of again set that set the stage here. That you know, from a Christian worldview point of view, we we draw our worldview ultimately from Scripture, um, and it it informs our life. And so, if I look at human beings. Um, I would say, for example, that the identity of human beings, the value of human beings, is that they're made in God's image. They have inherent dignity and moral worth. And and to do harm to another human being is, in one sense, to do harm to God, because I'm, I'm acting against that image. And therefore, uh, human beings in the womb and human beings late at life, uh, regardless of their age, their health, they have value and dignity. Uh, now, of course, I also know from Scripture that human beings are fallen, that our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, uh, rebelled against God. And uh, we, as, as generally Christianity teaches, that we have now taken a, a, an, a fallen nature that we have received from Adam. Uh, and therefore, we're sinners. We, we break the commandments. Um, we miss the mark. We are, can be held morally accountable. Uh, we sin against th- God in our thoughts, in our, in our, in our mind, our, our thoughts, our actions. And yet we're also told that the remedy, the solution to the fallen hum- human condition is that Jesus has come into the world. God has entered into the world and taken a human nature, and through Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, uh, he has made us right with God. He has taken away our sin, and God has extended to us adoption. So we're, we're not only made in the image of God, but as believers, we have been adopted into the family. We are, we are children of God. And um, and of course, the final step in that big picture is consummation. When Jesus returns, he will bring an end to the time-space world, and there'll be a new creation, and we'll see glorious events. Well, as we think about uh, ideas, Bill, that that alternative ideas, uh, I think we live at a time where, for example, in our universities, we we are being told and we're being taught that your identity isn't so much that you're made in the image of God. You should find your identity in your race or your gender or your class. And maybe the, the challenge of the world is not how can sinners find forgiveness before God, but that the world is made up of uh, oppressors and the oppressed. And so the goal of life is to resist that oppression and to give social justice. Now, don't get me wrong. I think you, there is a side of social justice that is compatible with Christianity. I mean, after all, in the Old Testament prophets, the minor prophets, uh, God cares about the widows. He cares about the orphans. He cares about the immigrants. You might say God cares about the powerless or 
you know, the people that are on the edge. But that's very different. Um, may, may, seeing social justice as an appropriate component in the Christian worldview is very different than the categories becoming race, gender, and class. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure that when you are at a university, uh, I'm not sure uh, that we realize that you can be propagated. That, that is, you can get propaganda, and you need to think very carefully and very critically through it. Mm-hmm. Well said, Ken. Um, another question popped up about discernment. I think we struck a chord with that. And the question is specifically intellectual discernment. Could you please speak more about that? How do you develop both spiritual and intellectual discernment so you're able to know, to clearly distinguish when you may need to fight in the spiritual warfare or clarify something with intellectual works that are solid? Yeah. Yeah, that's very good. Um, I I would say this. I, I would say that the Bible talks about both moral and intellectual virtues. And of course, Christians gravitate, I think, easily toward the moral virtues that, you know, as a married man, I need to be faithful to my spouse. Uh, I am committed to her for life. Uh, I also am not to steal from my my neighbor. Th- that is, if I look at the second five of the Ten Commandments, you know, uh, telling the truth, n- not stealing, being faithful, um, and of course, I would argue that that second five of those commandments, those are kind of universal ideas. We find them not only in Judaism, we find them in Islam, uh, we find them in Buddhism and Hinduism and Taoism. It, it seems that God has created a world with a moral understanding within it. Now, of course, we're not always faithful to all those things. That's why we need a, we need a savior. But a lot of times, Bill, I think Christians are not aware that there are also intellectual virtues. Now, touched upon them a little bit. Uh, Paul in 1 Thessalonians, test all things. By the way, that idea of testing went into the emergence of science in the 1600s. The early uh, scientists, almost to a person, they were Christian, although there were also Jews and others. But the idea of putting things to the test that that very much that intellectual virtue in scripture went into the scientific method of of testing and and those kinds of things paul in another place in romans chapter 12 he talks about intellectual renewal john talks about discerning the spirits why because there's a lot of false ideas out there um and and again um in in acts 11 we're told hey uh, you know, the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. Why? Because they they were testing truth claims. They were, uh, they were putting the books to the test. I think, um, I think a good healthy skepticism is, is a good thing in the sense that uh, I think what we need, Bill, in our time is, is to have uh, universities, and, and not just universities, public schools. Uh, we need public schools that are are very rigorous in, in challenging ideas, and not just certain ideas, not just appropriate ideas, but a place where you get the good and the bad, you, you get the pros and the cons, uh, you're exposed to ideas, and, and 
And I think as well, Christian schools need to be a place where we learn these intellectual virtues and the moral virtues. Uh, Bill, unfortunately, a lot of non-Christians think, because I've heard from them, a lot of non-Christians think we Christians are feelers but not thinkers. Now, now I don't want to give up the feeling side. I, I don't like a cold church. I want warm people who love me, and I want to love them back. Um, and our emotions are part of who we are, but we also need to be vigorous, careful thinkers. And so I would respond to that by saying, of course, we need to let Scripture inform our discernment. But God cares about the mind. God cares about ideas. And I personally think the unrest we're experiencing today, I think this chaos that we're experiencing today, I think part of it has been uh, primed by the pandemic, people being locked down and uh, being in a, in a, in a uh, health crisis, being in an economic crisis. But to be perfectly candid, I think lots of been lots of people have been taught a philosophy for many decades, and and now it's kind of spilling out into uh, the world in which we live. and And some of it is rooted in philosophy, some of it is rooted in very different ways of thinking than what we would find in the Judeo Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. I think for some, Ken, they're. They believe things to be true because they've they've been they've heard it over and over and over, but maybe have never questioned it. And I always think there's something so wonderful about asking good questions and getting involved in in scripture and and saying, well, what about this? And why did they? What's the context? And and just to be a, a real student of God's word instead of never questioning what we believe. I think you're absolutely right, and uh, I I think we need. I think we need schools that that challenge people. Again, uh, you know, there there are philosophies of life that I think are bankrupt, that I think are false, that I think uh, the evidence of history is that uh, it does not end well. But you know, if if a, if a person was a communist or a Nazi or held an idol a totalitarian view, uh, I wouldn't shut them down. I wouldn't shout them down. I would simply say, go ahead and make your case. But remember, uh, we're going to critique what you have to say. We're going to look at your ideas in light of history. We're going to see what kind of fruit your philosophy has borne. Um, and uh, I, I would again say that I think we have we have kind of moved away from the prism of truth, goodness, beauty. And now we've adopted what some people would call identity politics, where uh, the prism is who are you and is is your identity related to your skin color or is it related to your sex or is it related to your class? Whereas the Apostle Paul in, in the first century in Galatians 5 says there's no difference between Jew, Gentile, slave-free, male, female, all are one in Christ. And Bill, I can't tell you how revolutionary that statement is, because mm-hmm. in first century Rome, the Romans thought everybody was inferior. And the two people groups that c- came to Christianity and joined the faith in large numbers were women and slaves, because when they heard 
that there is a God who has come into the world in Christ and offers forgiveness and rest and peace, these groups that were low on the totem pole, the social economic totem pole, they said, I want that gospel. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see us responding that way today. Yeah, when this gospel is offering strength and hope, no surprise that they're gravitating towards it. Bill, I think uh, you know. I, I think, boy, how long could you how long could you live without eating? You know, maybe under the right circumstances, a month or so, maybe more. How long can you go without drinking water? Well, you know, maybe a couple days. Uh, how long can you uh, go without oxygen? Well, not very long. But do you know what, Bill? You can't live in this world without hope. And a lot of the philosophies that we find in the world, they are hopeless. But there's nothing more hopeful and meaningful and purposeful than the idea that God has uh, he's invaded the occupied world and taken a and has become one of us and has laid down his life to, to bring us forgiveness and hope. So I, I think one of the most important worldview tests is, does your worldview give you hope? And I can tell you, historic Christianity, the Bible does give you hope. And that hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll take a little break. Ken Samples is my guest. If you have a question or you would like to make a comment, happy to take either. You can call or text 877-933-2484. So you're listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. That we want to hear from you. We'd love to know what you think about the show. Well, most of us do. Bill says this week he's only accepting five-star reviews. Either way, you can take the official Afternoons with Bill Arnold listener survey. It just takes a couple of minutes and you get a chance to win an Amazon gift card. Text the word survey to 877-933-2484. Find it online at myfaithradio.com slash survey. back with Ken Samples, philosopher and theologian, reasons.org. You can go learn more about Ken there. And we're talking about uh, the spirit of this age. And so, Ken, I I know I want to sort of get back to how we as Christians can, you know, think through these provocative ideas. I want to do it effectively. So I need your help. Yeah, um... You know, uh, there is a there was a the, there was a theologian at Yale. His name is Yaroslav Pelikan. He he died a number of years ago. Um, wrote many books. Had a quote that always stuck with me. He said that the church the church is always more than a school, but the church can never be less than a school. And I, I completely agree with that. The church is many things. Sometimes it's a hospital. Um, sometimes it's a counseling center. You know, sometimes it's a it's a place to meet for a sporting event. It's a place of prayer. It's ultimately a, a place we hear the word of God. We uh, take the Lord's Supper. We worship together. Um, 
But Pelican says, while the church is always more than a school, it can't be less than a school. It shouldn't be less than a school. Uh, Bill, if I can, if I can bring this to to our discussion today, I would say our churches need need to have a school component. I think our churches need to help Christian people uh, to think about ideas. Uh, you know, again, a lot of times, a lot of times Christians probably don't appreciate philosophy as much as they should. Now, there are a lot of philosophy out there that is counter to Christianity, and there is anti-Christian philosophy. There's no doubt about that. But, but if we think about philosophy as in terms of thinking carefully and critically about the most important ideas, who is God? Uh, how, how do we come to know him? Uh, what are the essential beliefs about Christianity? I think in a time like in which we're living, where we have the challenge of the pandemic with issues relating to uh, health, when it relates to the education of our kids, when it relates to seemingly our culture. I mean, I remember 1968 seemed like a pretty difficult year. I was only 10 years old at the time, but Martin Luther King was assassinated. Robert Kennedy was assassinated. There were uh, there were riots. Uh, there there were in in the streets. Well, boy, it seems like we're living at a time that rivals that period now. I th I think our churches need to be places where we help individuals not only to learn to read scripture, not only to understand the essentials of our faith, not only to develop a, a life of prayer, uh, a life of commitment, but we also need our people to to be able to think carefully and critically. And, uh, you know, I think your show does that. I think you are trying to to raise issues in which we can kind of think through these kinds of issues. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think... Uh, not only do non-Christians think we're feelers and not thinkers, but I, th I think some of the challenges that we have in our church have to do with the fact that maybe we're not helping, um, maybe we're not helping our people to be as discerning about these ideas. Hmm. That is uh, an interesting point, Ken. So maybe you can just remind us all again why it's so important for us as believers to speak to these issues. Yeah, I mean, more than just discerning and processing, now we need to turn around and speak to them. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, if, again, if I can, if I can bring it back to kind of a a, a worldview point of view, um, Christianity says certain things about about God. It it says certain things about human beings. It it says certain things about morality. Um, a, you know, a Christian approaches the world, and a, a, a Christian perspective is all people are made in the image of God, regardless of their skin color, whether they're a man or a woman, um, whether they're rich or poor, whether they're healthy or sick. Uh, human beings have value, and, and they have dignity. I, I think we have to speak to these kinds of issues, and uh, I think what we need to do is we need to tell people that there is absolute truth. Uh, 
that truth is not based upon relativism. Uh, you do, truth is not based on your truth. There is ultimate truth. Mm-hmm. And in Christianity, that ultimate truth comes in a person. I mean, Jesus actually went around telling people, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, Christianity says there is there are things to be believed, and there is a faith to be affirmed and truths to be affirmed. And I I think we have to speak to these very challenging issues. Um, You know, uh, we need need to bring our our Christian values, our Christian beliefs. And that's the way I would define Christianity. I would say Christianity is three things. I would say first, it's a set of beliefs. You You might think of you know, the Trinity, the Incarnation, the Atonement, the Resurrection, the Second Coming, kind of those fundamental Christian beliefs. So first, Christianity is a set of beliefs, but then it's a collection of values. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, your neighbor as yourself, summarizing the Ten Commandments. But then Christianity is also a way of life, calling you to a a life of loving God, a life of service, and uh, I think Christianity has a lot to say about the challenges, the, the sin of racism. I think Christianity has a lot to say about law and order in society. I think Christianity has a lot to say about the real troubles uh, and, the, and the help that people need. And so, um, you know, I, as uh, no doubt some people think philosophy is just a bunch of ideas, but Bill, I'll tell you, ideas really matter. And, and the challenges we're facing today, they re, they're reflected in particular philosophies of life. And so having some understanding of ideas and philosophy and thinking, thinking toughly, I, I think God is pleased when his people think carefully and critically and are discerning and are, are looking to Scripture to discover that truth and, and to be as faithful to it as they possibly can. Oh, I just think that's absolutely right, Ken. I would love for you to say more, because that whole idea is so exciting to me. Well, you know, um, Scripture is clear that, you know, it's one thing, it's one thing to say uh, that I believe in God, uh, but, uh, you know, our beliefs are reflected in, in the values that we have. Our beliefs are reflected in, in the life that, that we live. And uh, again, uh, I, I'll tell you a quick story. I, I've shared this before, but I'm so, I think it's a powerful point, Bill. Um, Viktor Frankl was a Austrian Jew, a psychiatrist in the 1930s. Uh, he was captured and put into a ghetto because he was a Jew. His wife was pregnant. She was taken to a death camp, and so he lost his, his wife and his daughter. He lost his parents. He, he was in Dachau and then Auschwitz. And um, he said that to be normal, he started kind of trying to operate like a psychiatrist because that was his calling. He just wanted to be normal again. And he said that uh, because the, the Jewish inmates were put on a starvation diet and they were forced to do heavy labor, whenever they gave up hope, he said they'd fall over dead in minutes. They were living on hope, hope that 
God would rescue them, hope that their spouse was still alive, hope that the allies would rescue them. Uh, Anne Frank died just a couple of weeks before the allies liberated her camp. Well, Franco lived through it and then started a whole philosophy a, a, called logotherapy. And what he argued, Bill, was that what people ultimately need now, of course, they need money, they need shelter, you need all of these other things. But what you ultimately need is a fundamental philosophy of life that will give you real hope, meaning, and purpose in life. Well, Bill, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will do that very thing. Amen. All right, Ken, we've only got a minute and 50 seconds, and I've got kind of a question that came in from a listener, kind of a last-minute thing. Uh, Genesis thirty two twenty five says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. How could he wrestle God and then hold him until God blessed him? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. Um, and it's, uh, so I'm going to try to summarize it here as quickly as I can. I, I think a lot of times what we see in the Old Testament are lessons for us to be taught. Obviously, God is sovereign, a ruler, a, a king, uh, and here here we have an individual who is has limits and boundaries. I, I think that what we're what we're being shown here is uh, is that while God is sovereign and ruler, He gives great attention to people who hold on to Him. Mm-hmm. He He gives grace and He fulfills the prayers of people who stay with him and hold on to him and follow him in in every way. That would be my short answer. What a great short answer. Ken, I always uh, look forward to our time together. Thank you so much for just being my guest once again today. Pleasure to be with you, Bill. Thank you. Yep, Ken Samples has been my guest. Go to reasons.org to learn more about Ken. And, of course, that is our show for the day. Thank you for spending this time with me. I have loved it, and I look forward to our time tomorrow. I can hardly wait already. Have a good night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.